You're listening to Legends Cast, a podcast about the cards, the meta, and the community of the Legends of Runeterra. This episode is brought to you by listeners like you. To become a supporter of the show, visit patreon.com slash legendscast. Let's do this. Hello and welcome to Legends Cast, a podcast about the legends of Runeterra. My name is Mark or the Lip from outside of Pittsburgh, PA, and with me tonight is the eternally optimistic and and catastrophically creative Gibbles and Bits. Gibbles and Bits, my man, how are you doing tonight? I am doing wonderfully. How are you doing, my friend? Good, man. It was good. It was nice to get the week off. Uh, As the guy who does the editing and posting and uploading for the show, uh, it doesn't always feel like a week off, but I got to do it on Tuesday instead of late Monday night last week, which was nice. And uh, this episode, we're actually recording early because uh, I'm going to be doing a little bit of uh, some uh, traveling this upcoming week, and it was just going to be crazy hectic. Try to record and get the podcast out. So we're recording on a Saturday night, uh, so a, a little bit, uh, a little bit early. A little bit Saturday night fever to throw back to the seventies and eighties. If you know what I'm talking about, yeah, you may not be able to I see know, it, I but I'm doing, I'm doing my John. Tra- you know? I'm doing my John. <laughs> I was born in '94. Okay, I'm doing my. I'm still doing my John Travolta moves. I know what I know what they look like. <laughs> Well, it's uh, really cool. It's great to be back on the show. It was great to have a week off. Uh, you and DBN did a great job last week. I, and I'm kind of curious. I don't know if you go back and listen to the episodes at all. I do. Um, you do. So what did you think? I'm kind of curious about your feelings about the new bumps that we started using uh, in the last in the season three episodes. Have oh, you- I think they're fantastic. I, I think the diversity that we that you've that you've added with the bumps are are wonderful. I like the the, the change up into each of the segments and I it fits the it fits the mantra of what season three is supposed to embody with it being a revamped feel it's supposed to be more creative and lighthearted and and kind of crazy and wacky you're not know you're not going to know what you you're going to run into each episode or what segments we're going to do um so I I think it would be underwhelming and a bit droll if we had the same bumps for going into all these new segments that we're doing. So I, I, I fully appreciate and encourage the creativity in all of your bumps. Well, I have found a treasure trove of ways to get a hold of the voice lines uh, of any card in the game. And so I've started recording lots of voice lines, trying to stick mostly with champions right now and find some stuff that sort of fits the new segments that we're doing, of which we're going to have two new segments tonight as well, which is really exciting. Um, Technically, if you're new in season three, it's three new segments because we have an interview tonight. Um, We have two champs in a hat, of course, um, but we're also going to be doing a lore segment and a cosmetics segment, um, taking a look at maybe what is the most important part of the game, which is flexing on your opponent. Um, with how much money you're spending, because you can't spend money on cards in this game. Well, you can spend money on cards, but you likely don't. Uh, So we thought it would be important to talk about the cosmetic flexes and also to to dig into the lore, especially for those of you who are not, you know, LOL players. We're not LOL players. And so uh, Gibby's been researching some lore for us as well, which which has really been great. Yeah, I'm excited to do that segment. We will get there when we get there this evening, but it's, it's a new part. Of, of the show that I think is uh, would be it's, it's fun to talk about and I think it'll create some some good discussion in discord afterwards yeah we got some special treats but 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 today man 
Today was the end of the world championships, and we have crowned a new world champion. And Gibbles, you want to uh, tell us who the new world champion is? You've watched more of the tournament than I've had the t- chance to. Yeah, I. So we. So today ended the. There was group stages on Thursday and group stages on Friday, and then uh, today was the culmination of the winners from the group stages moving on facing off in a bracket-style elimination tournament with the ultimate winner ending up being Alan. Uh, his his screen name is Alan ZQ, but everyone on stream just kept calling him Alan, so that's yeah, fine. Yeah, that's what I noticed. I don't know. I guess the ZQ is silent. That's fine. Uh, so the Alan, so Alan, he's from he's from the Europe server. So Europe officially takes the first world championship. Oh, that oh, hurts. That actually well, hurts a little but bit. I'm, I'm happy to say, though, I, I felt even just watching through the group stages, uh, we were having some good discussion in Discord uh, about it while the tournament was happening. Uh, the NA server showed out. The NA, NA performed pretty, pretty well. They knocked some big names out of the tournament and overall just had a pretty good showing. So we may not have taken as a server. I say we, but we've got def- several listeners from all over the world uh, sure. in, in our in our our podcast group. But but we're uh, NA strong. But we're know? NA strong, and it, I was happy to see. Um, not only that NA performed well, but just a quite a wide variety of of decks represented in the tournament. Um, yeah, this is one of the things that I had hoped, and one of my favorite part about Hearthstone was by the end of my time in Hearthstone, I was actively cheering for specific pro players um, to the point where I was kind of like, I would actually not have minded, like I would still be proud to wear a Tice Hearthstone jersey. Um, because he was not only one of my favorite people to eat my breakfast with, um, but he was also simultaneously just one of the most powerhouse competitors and, and ladder grinders in the game. And uh, and Alan ZQ, uh, also uh, a powerhouse ladder grinder. I don't know, uh, Gibbles, if you've ever had the chance to watch his stream, um, but they're, like I like watching BBG stream because he plays one deck a lot. I like playing watching Saucy Mailman stream because he plays really outside of the box stuff i like playing silver fuse watching silver fuse she's a friend of the show Mm -hmm. but i will watch alan when it comes down to just watching like high caliber sort of like raw intellectual gameplay um there are some card game players that are not like they don't play with the heart of the cards they play with analytics and statistics that are running in their head and alan always has seemed kind of like that type of player at least from an outside perspective. So I think it's very cool that he won. And it's also cool that he's a public face for the game as he is one of the biggest streamers that are, you know, that we have on Twitch. Mm -hmm. Um, You know, him, it's really like him, BBG, Mogwai, and Swim are probably the four largest streamers on Twitch. So it's cool that one of them who is a public face, not just like a no-name ladder grinder, also won. I thought that was pretty cool. Yeah, and he he had a great, uh, his personality through the interviews um, that they kind of showed to preface each match, especially when they were introducing all of the different uh, contestants or participants, you, you could say, um, in the group stages. You could tell that his personality shone through. He was used to being in front of the camera. He connected with the audience. I mean, several of the casters were were when they were kind of put their back up against the wall and forced by other casters or the host to to pick a either a favorite or um, just by personality and who they liked or who they wanted to put money on if they had to, to win the tournament, he was commonly referenced because of his strength as a player, but also just his 
his kindness and friendliness as a player. Um, so it was it was really cool to see him. He had a great final against Yamato. Yamato is his opponent. Um, his who he actually played earlier in Worlds, which was uh, I think cool that they got to do a rematch. And ironically, I was telling you this before the show, their rematch in the finals, almost to a T, worked out match by match the exact same way. Yamato beat Allen the first match. The ESO. So let's back up for a second and let's let's talk about what Allen ran. I think that would be kind of cool just to discuss real quick. Yeah, what, what... are the three decks that he brought with him? Yeah. So Allen brought um this the the three decks that he bought brought to the tournament were he brought a Demacia and Sharima, uh, uh, Akshan Sever deck. So pretty yeah, standard. Makes a lot of sense. Very strong right now. Mm-hmm. And I th- I don't think he, he was still r- running. Um, he wasn't running Ruin Runner. He I think was he still had Merciless Hunter in. The he deck, had Merciless right? Hunter in there, correct? And I think he still had Shape Stone in there, but they're Shape... still very strong even after the nerf. Right. In in Shape Stone held its own, but you saw more value. I think at that point more out of Sharpsight, which I think might be why he dipped into Demacia is because Sharpsight almost, and, and there's a lot of elusive that are, that's present in, in the meta right now. Um, he ran that, the, he ran a Ezreal, I'm not sorry, not Ezreal, a Draven Caitlyn list, which is apparently supposed to be a more controlly version of Scion Draven. Um, that was a very, it was one yeah, of the a most, bit slower. was one of the most common decks to be seen at Worlds, was, was a, a either a, Draven and Scion or a Draven and Caitlyn deck. Roughly the same discard style, just more tri-beam, to one. Tri-beam, 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 tri-beam. Oh, yes. Seem in, uh, all over the place. Yeah, a lot of tri-beam. Um, and then his last deck was an Ezreal and Vi deck, which was interesting. It was, that was... Um, sure, Vi was, has not been seen anywhere since she got nerfed, like, right. what, nine months ago? Yeah, it was P and Z and then Bandle City, and the it was a Shellfolk prank deck. And I don't know what the public knew about that deck going into. As you said, he's a big streamer, so I'm assuming that there was some knowledge of this deck going into Worlds about he might run it or seen him play it before because it got banned. Every single match, except for one, and he let when in the match that it didn't get banned, he led with it and just obliterated in that game. So it was it left the tournament with a one hundred percent win rate. Yeah, I think that that deck uh, that was the surprise deck for me. And actually, to be honest with you, Caitlyn Draven was a surprise deck for me. I realized that it's sort of like a version of Ezreal Draven also it's it's almost like a mashup between what Ezreal Draven was and what Scion Draven was mm-hmm. in the fact that there's some discard fodder that you're getting there you're getting a lot of three drops um but it runs i think what like lost soul or whatever the the 5 4 that when it's discarded or dies gives you a 4 3 with challenger in hand that's yeah. like a really central card to this deck yeah that that, um, it, that and, eight cost card yeah, and, and actually, when we talk with uh, Nerf Lulu in a bit, he'll talk about the fact that Caitlyn Draven was something he was looking for in evens and odds, but the fact that you can't play Lost Soul because it's on eight makes the deck almost unplayable. That's how important Lost Soul is, um, which was really intriguing to me because my first go-to was like Tribeam, which we can talk about at another time. But mm-hmm. what I find what I found so interesting about this was none of these decks were sort of the prescribed, pre-written things, right? 
you're not seeing deep with you know Malachi Nautilus. You're not seeing, um, you know, I, I I'm even trying. You're not like I I guess this doesn't have like the darkness with Senegal. I realize that we actually saw that in the tournament, but the the winning decks didn't play it. You know, the, you're not it was seeing, in the finals. It was in the finals, yeah. So it did it did make it it did make an appearance, but you're not seeing TK Soraka. Mm-hmm. Like none of the decks, you're not seeing you know Pike Rexi. None of the decks that sort of pre writ we like came out and it was like, oh, it's very clear that these two champions are synergistic, right? Um, the fact that Akshan Siver isn't naturally a super centered, like they obviously work well together, but they're not written together necessarily. Um, right. Vi, I didn't expect to see ever. Um, and, and the fact that this is really not even about those two champions, those two champions just can generate value and you play a lot of cards in that deck. So you can get Vi up uh, to high power, you know, is is interesting. And Draven Caitlyn was another deck that I didn't expect. You know, I think if you look, you see Draven's supposed to go with Scion. You see Caitlyn's supposed to go with Teemo. They have appropriate places, but it's really interesting that we're seeing these breakout decks Mm -hmm. that ended up winning it that are not glued to the preconceived, you know, stereotypes that we thought they were going to be. Yeah. Um, yeah, One they, of the most encouraging things I've seen for the life of the game is this this lineup. Mm-hmm. And I think the minor adjustments that they made the that Riot kind of came in with before Worlds uh, had an effect. It made it, it made a difference. And I think we saw that diversity. We saw these changes to what people were running because of some of those changes. I mean, the, getting rid of or, or throwing up a higher cost on Flurry of Fists and nerfing Ruin Runner and nerfing Merciless Hunter and shape stone. I think those were good changes. I mean, clearly we saw still saw saw two of those cards in a winning deck, which means that it was still in a good, it was in a good place. The three major archetypes that I saw at Worlds were uh, a go wide list with Lulu and Poppy of some sort, mm-hmm. a um, a discard shell of some sort, or a tri beam. I kind of put them two in the same necessarily because they were roughly yeah. the same regions. And then um, the third shell, we saw a lot of kind of what I guess they were calling a, a ping, or they were just calling a ping deck, which was some form of either Bandle City and um, it was either Bandle City and Bilgewater for a um, runner just running Gangplank and running a lot of kind of just the the, mm-hmm. um, uh, the Yordles that were able to create poison darts or just pokey sticks and other things like that just to be able to ping stuff away or even just go face if you needed to. Um, or just straight up Sejuani gangplank, as we've seen a million yeah, times. Yeah, that's in a sort of like maps. the quintessential mid-range, right? Right. So, um, so yeah, we saw those three. I think my surprise deck that I saw of the tournament was um, uh, Shizu. S- he's, he's, got a, he's got an interesting name. Uh, he ran a Zoe Heimer deck. Yeah, which, I saw that as well, which was interesting. That blew my mind that Heimer was in there. And he he played it a very unique way, just wanting to get enough hi- value out of Heimer where he he knew when to turn him off and trade into him uh, and, and hmm. sacrifice him on defense. He said, you've done your job. You've given me enough blockers, enough 2-1 blockers or, or whatever it might be. And I I've, I feel good about the value that I've gotten. He could trade him off, and that wasn't his win strategy. So it was it was a very interesting deck to see run. Um, I really enjoyed watching Worlds as a whole. I thought it was it was a very great tournament. I thought the casters did fantastic. Um, it, they pulled in some league casters too, um, which I thought was smart. They had some guys in there who were 
you know, veteran League of Legends, mm-hmm. um, uh, you know, casters, along with, you know, Amazonian and a handful of other sort of less tested. Not that they're bad casters, they're great casters, but they don't have, you know, the experience of the LCS stage casting LCS matches and doing analyst work for LCS matches is probably the most prestigious caster position in existence, right? right. There's probably not one that maybe, maybe StarCraft II if back in the day. Um, and, and maybe there's a shooter out there that, that is close, but I don't think there really is. I think it's like, so the fact that they brought in some of those casters, that was also really encouraging to me because it was like, okay, like it, it isn't cheap for them to put these casters, who I'm sure cost them a pretty penny, on hours and hours of this job because that probably means they don't put the extra hours in to league that week. Um, and so it showed that they were they were positioning and pivoting resources towards Runeterra to make the world championship feel um, as legitimate as they could in mm-hmm. terms of sort of like a highly valued part of, of what they're doing. And I thought that was really great. Yeah, I mean, as a part of a crowning your first world champion like that, yeah. Like, you needed to be able to show out and make it a tournament that it was, wasn't was a disaster, wasn't... And and, and I, there was some bad reviews from some of the seasonal tournaments and the way that it was run and it was organized. So for them to have such a strong showing for this Worlds tournament, I think meant a lot. It, it, it kind of overwrote narratively some of the the distaste from the uh, from some of the seasonal tournaments and the way that it was ran. So I I think they did a fantastic job. Um, I was I was happy as a as a as a consumer of the of the the podcast on YouTube. The streams felt good, felt good quality, and I I enjoyed it overall. I would say the only thing that I would love to see, and I realize that you know in the times that we're in, this is the most this is challenging and probably the reason they didn't do it. Um, but one of the things that I loved about the Hearthstone stuff was to see the players come out, to see them shake hands, mm-hmm. to see the casters on the desk with the tavern behind them, all of those stuff, um, to see Blizzard did a really good job of of really immersing you in the environment as the viewer. Mm-hmm. Um, and I hope that in the future, you know, when we're not in the middle of a pandemic, that we actually see all of the world's championship people flown out. Um, to you know wherever riot's gonna hold it and we see a physical location um, you know with a crowd of people you know where they're selling tickets you can actually go to worlds um, and whether that's during you know a conference uh, a con whatever I would love to see that happen because I think that was one of the coolest and most legitimizing pieces of Hearthstone world championship and tournaments um, was the fact that they were there in person and it wasn't just a, a group of guys sitting at their computers, you know, bringing in their webcams. Realize you can't do that right now, but still interesting. Um, and and I still, like, I'm still, like, I'm so excited now for Worlds next year because of the fact that this year was so unpredictable. Like, I just, I did not expect so many of the decks that we had to be decks that I didn't know anything about. Um, yeah. That is so cool to me. Like, that shows me that there is room to explore. Like, if this had been, you know, if the top deck had been Echo and Zillion and, uh, you know, Sivir LeBlanc and Sedge Gangplank, it would have been like, oh, okay, three pre-built decks that they clearly wanted to push that, you know, champions that very clearly go together. But two of the decks in the winning lineup didn't even dip into the other faction. I mean, they they did. Like, they dipped into it, but the champion did it, right? Like, 
Uh, Ezreal Vi are both P and Z. Akshan Sivir are both from Sharima. And it's really interesting that we didn't see split factions mm -hmm. in two of the decks, at least as far as champions are concerned. I think you had a couple of other thoughts that you wanted to share, and I'll let you let you do that. Uh, I think I've shared about everything that I have to share, <laughs> at least on the on the subject of the World Championship. Yeah, I think something that was really important uh, to me as I was kind of evaluating these top players and uh, the some of the decisions that they made, which will kind of bleed into kind of our next topic on the podcast is, um, I, I think there was a really big emphasis on the bands and there was a lot of strategy in this environment with, with the decks that people were bringing with what deck to ban. And I think it's important to note this because we as a Legends Cast Discord community are about to run into this exact same scenario with our own Legends Cast Discord League. So there was a really great kind of 30 second blurb. I think Mogwai was talking about it, where it was either Mogwai or Swim was talking about um, how important it is for you not only to think about what you want to ban because you don't want to play against a certain deck of your opponents with your current lineup, but it's also important to think about and really evaluate, maybe even first, what do you think that your opponent, based on their lineup, is going to ban of you? That is probably the most predictive and should be the first point taken into consideration for you um, as you consider what you want to ban of your opponent. So it's kind of an inverse line of thinking. And because us with our Legends Cast Discord League, for the first time, are going to be using the in-game best of three client open deck list format where you can see your opponent's deck lists and their champions ahead of time. It's not a, hey, I'm going to ban this region and you don't know what they're going to be playing or you just know the champion combination. We've done that before too. You know, you know what their deck is and you have to make a smart and strategic decision as these players did in Worlds. I think it's a very important part of a tournament format and I've never been one that's been a huge fan of open deck list formats. Um, I kind of prefer the, the closed deck list format, and maybe it's because I like putting splash cards in there and kind of stranging outside. Sure, you like the, to surprise people with stuff. Yeah, I like to surprise people with some cards. I mean, I played Scorpion in Legends of the Five Rings, which was all about trickery and kind of catching your opponent off guard. Same thing with Unicorn with some of the movement tactics. I like playing decks that aren't so streamlined. They've got some decision-making. You can kind of surprise some people with some tech cards. It's a little harder to do that in open deck list format, but I I'm kind of on the I'm on the boat now. I like this. I like the open deck list format because it challenges you and makes you ban properly. So, talking about our Legends Cast Discord League, we crowned a new champion from our last season, didn't we? We absolutely did. And this week, I got a chance to interview Nerf Lulu, who was uh, pre previously known as Lungs uh, when he had won. The tournament back in season two uh, he is not our only two-time champion uh as well uh, he uh hemlix uh who won the eu bracket but didn't receive an interview in season one came back as a return winner to win season three overall as well eu winner season one overall winner season three um but we're gonna go ahead i'm gonna get uh nerf lulu in here and talk to him a little bit about not only his experience uh, running in the Allegiance League, but also some advice for you if you're planning to uh, join up here for the Evens and Odds League that's going to be starting up. 
Come on in. Plenty of room inside. Okay, guys, I have Nerf Lulu here with me, the winner of the Legends Key Legends Class Legends Cast Legends Cast Discord League Season Four. And Nerf Lulu is a return winner, which we're going to talk about that in a minute because you've probably never heard his name on the show before, and there's a reason for that. Uh, and he also won our very first sort of like unique league because we did a much shorter league this time that was allegiance based. Nerf Lulu, how you doing tonight, man? I'm doing great. Feels good to be on. Feels good to have won a second season. Yeah, uh, I think that you and uh, and I I always mispronounce his name, but my good friend from the Czech Republic, he won the EU half of the league in season one. You won season two. Um, he won overall in season three. And now you've won season four. It seems like it's uh, it's the two of you guys we, we, we keep uh, having at the top. But I mentioned that you had won before. So you won season two, which was probably arguably our longest and most grueling intense season that yeah. we had of the league so far. Um, but what name did you actually win under? Because I can never remember. Uh, it was Lungs for Hummel Users, which was the uh, JoJo reference back then. But after being on a few different podcasts, I got a little tired of being called Lungs all over the place. So <laughs> just one night I was like, uh, I'm done with this. I need something new. And, you know, Lulu is just my favorite character, my main in league. Um, and so I just went with a bit of irony for Runeterra with Nerf Lulu at the time with our good old 2-3 girl. Yeah, because Nulu Lulu is actually pretty good right now, yeah. and, and like arguably she's very very strong she's currently. Very strong. Um, in a couple of decks, I wouldn't say that she's like the main feature in the decks that she's strong in, but she's strong. Uh, but when you took on that name, it was like confusing. We announced Lungs as our you know season two winner, and then the ne like the next day, <laughs> yeah. uh, you rebranded and became Nerf Lulu, and they're like, which which Lulu he is? He talk about Lulu is absolute garbage in this game no one understands <laughs> so the question has come up multiple times now people have asked me are you going to choose a new name and try to come back in a future season and win again with a third name we'll see what i think it's got fate has it that i won't win another season until i change my name that 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 actually could very likely be yeah. the case. Uh, that that the the trick is actually rebranding uh, each time that you win. Um, so you know, I think a lot of our audience had listened to you know the episode that you were on. I think it it was probably a year ago, almost exactly now that it's, you were on. Yeah, it's been a while. Yeah. Um. Uh, but for those who are newer listeners, tell them a little bit about what got you into card games and what has gotten you into into Rune Terra. Yeah, so I started with uh, Hearthstone back in high school. It was just, you know, beta for one of the, like, the first big digital card game. My friends just got me into it, and I hated it. I just was like, this, I hate this game. I hate card games. The system is so stupid. And then it came out on mobile, and that that changed everything. The convenience of being able to play anywhere just I was, got me hooked. And I perpetually hated Hearthstone. Like, I was competitive in it. I'd constantly hit, like, rank one or two and i still just hated it just it was on mobile and it was all i could do and then once runeterra came out i was like all right once they put this on mobile i'm done with hearthstone forever and that's just how it's been <laughs> this is this has been my game now i absolutely love it and uh, yeah runeterra is just so great 
Yeah, and you're a league player in addition to being a Runeterra player, right? Like, yeah. you do enjoy League of Legends. Yeah. Casual in that, not even the slightest bit competitive. I just hit gold every season, get my skin, and I'm like, I'm done. No more rank. Well, you know, there are a lot of people who would consider hitting gold to be fairly competitive. Uh, as someone who's only played about three ranked games of League in his life, uh, that's a lot more competitive than I'm willing to that's get. Fair. That's fair. Uh, yeah. But you're probably also probably also a much better player. So we're coming into this season, and we decided to do something different, something different than we've ever done. We decided to go with an Allegiance League, which if you are unfamiliar with that, basically what we did is every deck could only have, you know, one faction. So if you were playing Demacia, that was it. The only thing that was in it was Demacia. So I'm kind of curious to know when you heard about that as being someone, I, I really feel like you like having a bit of sort of a competitive edge in games. Like I, I feel like from my first conversation with you, even to this one, one of the things that you really enjoy about card games is the competitive nature of it. Yeah. This is inherently less competitive. So I'm kind of curious to know what your initial feel was for doing an Allegiance League that was a little bit shorter. Um, so I like that it was a little shorter. It made it feel like we were kind of getting somewhere in the league compared to the last one uh, that I won, which was six Swiss rounds and then top eight double elimination. Then that just, that never ended. That never ended. Having this one have like a clear schedule to it just felt a lot better because knowing what I'm going to be out basically. Um, but the allegiance, I really like that, like something different. Cause I'm playing ladder all the time. Like sure. I enjoy having an opportunity to see other things in a somewhat competitive light, even if it's, mm. you know, ne not necessarily the most serious thing. People are trying hard to make these decks good and are still trying to win with them. And I really enjoy that. It was a lot of fun. Yeah, that's awesome. I feel like allegiance there was a couple of decks that pretty clearly wrote themselves, right? Because their allegiance card was so strong. And then you have some other factions that have allegiance cards that aren't very strong. So I'm curious, when you built your allegiance decks, did you build them thinking like, how can I build around my faction's allegiance card? Or were you more focused on how can I build, you know, a strong deck within this faction with or without the card that actually has allegiance written on it? Yeah, so I kind of started out that way. I was like, okay, Demacia, Shadow Isles, uh, like Bilgewater, they all have like really powerful Allegiance cards, and these are just good things to build around, just go all in on that archetype. Um, and that's what I saw for most of my opponents, too, in the first few weeks. But then I think it might have been like the fourth week, I saw someone playing Shadow Isles without Mist Wraiths, and it was just Callista Viego, and I, th I think it might have been Gibbles, and I was like, wait they're not running allegiance like what are they doing and they slapped me with that deck like uh, just absolutely <laughs> demolished i was like that's actually so powerful and so i kind of after that i changed a bit of my strategy and that definitely helped a lot really oh that's interesting yeah because i think you do look there are some some clearly better allegiance cards than others um and i think it was in this allegiance one both gibbles and dbn actually made it to the top four and you know backed out at the top four um to give other members of the community a chance to step in and they had built some pretty strong i would say some pretty strong non-traditional decks what was your deck that you felt was maybe your favorite non-allegiance card allegiance deck that you were playing throughout the throughout the um, season i think it was i actually went elunux and freljord uh just oh, okay that's yeah. interesting i was like you know Things are a bit slower, and even if I just get 
drop the troop on five and I only get one other Elunuk, just a three th two three threes or a three three and a four five is still just a really powerful tempo play. And you know, sometimes you still just high roll. And I think I had one game where I got all three four fives and just easy win from there. <laughs> and that yeah. that was so much yeah. fun. I, I missed Elunux and having an opportunity to just bring that out again was really good. But then there was also a game where uh, we went till no, go I, ahead. my field of rush turn, and I had four Alanux in hand that I just had not played all game because they just had been sitting there rotting. <laughs> yeah, well, that does happen with Alanux, but I think you bring up a kind of an interesting point in some of these sort of off-normal metas. I think one of the key things that happen is things just slow down, and you're able to do things that maybe were previously bad. It's very interesting that you return to Alanux because I remember when Elnooks were good and then they got too slow or too unreliable and people stopped playing them. But in a meta where everything's a little bit slower and everything's a little less reliable or at least a little less versatile, um, a deck like Elnooks is a really smart thing to go back to because you could get that one big swing turn and, and rob a game that, quite frankly, you maybe should have lost, which I think is uh, a really interesting a really interesting thing. That's really, really fun. What was your favorite deck or favorite faction to play or the one that you were most excited about uh, for playing Allegiance or, or even just like your go-to, which one you felt was the most powerful? Uh, Demacia. Like, you know, from the last one, the deck that really did it for me was when I went the Demacia Elites uh, with just the two harrowing splash with the Bannerman. And this time I just kept the two. I basically rebuilt the exact same deck, just cut the two harrowings, put in two more. Uh, elites and just a fun deck always great i love playing beefy units i love rallying does everything for me yeah now when you played that before though you probably played it with like i can't even remember it was like maybe it was like fiora and garen it was, or something it was like just that. Get mono garen mono garen it was now mono garen, did you go mono garen again I or did you put Garrett, J4 in now? I, I put two J4s in there yeah i think that i think it was just cut the harrowings put in two J4s was the change mainly yeah, that makes a lot of sense. J4 is a, a pretty strong card, and Garen at turn 5 into J4 turn 6 is yeah. absolutely pretty potent. Okay, awesome. Well, you know what, man? Like, you're now a league veteran. One, winning Season 2, coming back to win Season 4. I'm curious to know what your opinion is of the new season that we just announced that's starting, I think, in just a week or two on evens and odds, where you build you can build two faction decks now, right? but all of your decks have to have either evens or only odds in it. Um, I'm, I'm curious to know, what's your brain thinking about with that? Are you excited about it? What's your strategies going into it? Because I, I think this takes a lot more than just slapping together an Allegiance yeah. deck, right? I think uh, I actually, long time ago, I played in the Twin Suns uh, tournament when they also did an evens and odds, like a year and a half ago. Like I think we were barely out of beta for the game. And what I learned across that one was the most important thing is if you're even, you need to be heavy on two drops. And if you're odd, you need to be heavy on three drops because that's where the game really starts for you. Because if you're missing that turn, you kind of just lose so much tempo as a result. Oh, that's interesting. So evens, be really heavy on twos. Odds, be really heavy on threes. Um, do you have a, a, a spicy deck that you're brewing up for evens and odds that you're getting excited about? You don't have to give uh, too much away about it. You don't even have to give the champs or anything. Um, but anything that you can give us a little a little peek behind the curtain about what you got prepared. Um, so I've been looking at a lot of the, since we're doing Riot Lock this time, there's been a lot of discourse on Twitter about 
kind of is it problematic that you can do something like bring triple brown bandle tree decks in riot lock and i'm like huh if we look at bandle city there's pokey stick there's aloof travelers and there's mini morph all at even and i can bring nine of each of those and that could be a little spicy i'm very interested to see how that might work out interesting yeah i mean those cards are good i do think that we are going to make the change and make sure it's specified in the rules that we are still making sure that you're branching out into like you can't bring the same region twice but mini morph pokey stick uh and aloof travelers is interesting that they go on evens uh one of the things that i there's so many strategies that are broken up because of the even odds thing um, even just like thinking, you know what? I want to try to play Ezreal and, uh, you know, I can play him with Draven, but when you lose mystic shot, it is an enormous blow to that deck. Like that deck desperately needs it's two oh, yeah. drop mystic shot. Um, and it's so funny because you look at a deck and you're like, well, their champions are even, maybe they'll be good. And then you look and there's just some central cards that you, that are even comments that you didn't think of that are so important to the deck that you just cannot avoid them. Is there anything that you've looked at that you've been like, I, I would like to try this, but you're just like, oh man, this isn't going to yeah. work yeah, um, because I, I can't play this card. You're actually very close to exactly what I was thinking about, which was a uh, Caitlin Draven, actually, since they don't run mystic shots, they run almost all three cost spells just for the tri beams, but lost soul is even. And that is kind of what makes that deck. It just does not, it, power level drops so much without Lossal, and I who knows like will it even work yeah that's really that's really interesting um because yeah the, the, it's so interesting to have like you have this one card that you typically would think isn't the most important card in the deck but when you can't play it you're like oh my gosh that's the most important card in the deck I really <laughs> really need that card Oh, man. Well, hey, I want to thank you so much for being willing to come on the show. Thank you for competing in our leagues. Um, guys, if you want to compete in the next league, Evens and Odds is going to start up soon, and you can join inside of our Discord. Uh, just scroll down and go to Discord League and join there. Um, Nerf Lulu, any uh, closing remarks or anything you want to say before, before we head out? Can people come to you and look for <laughs> advice uh, or send you their deck list to see what they're, what they're brewing up? Uh, yeah, I'm active on Discord. If you're ever on Twitter, I'm active on there too. You can just DM me, ask me whatever. Uh, but what I really have to say for the league, similar to last time, like just participate. It's a lot of fun. It's one game a week or one round a week, and it's very easy to schedule, and it's just worth it. Like make the time for it. It's a great way to get involved. Yeah, I think it's a really great way to just meet other people from the community. There's been a lot of people that have been my opponents that I never would have met. Uh, I think like two two sessions ago or two leagues ago, um, I was like paired up against someone from the EU every single time. So it was actually a nightmare for me to schedule my games. Um, but right now that won't happen because there's no cross region. So we're just doing the tournament for NA, um, which is sad, but it does make scheduling easier sometimes. Um, okay, well, that's going to do it for this segment of our show. We're going to go ahead and jump back in uh, to the main show. Thank you so much, Nerf Lulu, Nerf Lulu for coming on and participating in the league. We really appreciate it. Have a great night. Ah, the sweet smell of science.
Okay, guys, it was so awesome to have Nerf Lulu with us, and I'm so thankful. It was great. Uh, so once again, Nerf Lulu, thank you for being on the show. At this point, though, we are going to dive into two champs in a hat. Every week here at Legends Cast, at the end of the episode, we draw two champions completely at random, and the co-host and the host for the following week have to make a deck using those two champions and talk about them on the next episode. So last week, we drew... What is probably not the worst two, but certainly <laughs> not the best two champions, Leona and Malkai. But let's face it, if Malkai wasn't being drawn with either, I don't know, uh, Viego or Mal or um, Nautilus, he was going to be bad no matter what. So we got him out of the way early on. Two four-drop champs were playing Targon and Shadow Isles. One that wants to obliterate your opponent's deck by losing creatures and tossing cards. The other one that wants to build an oppressive board through Daybreak. Really challenging to make these two work together, and I think we went kind of different directions. Gibbles, tell us a little bit about your Malkai and Leona deck list. Sure. So you're right. This is a maybe not the worst combination, but the strangest that we've had so far of the four. Oh, so far, 100%. We, we've, we've, and we've had, I really like that we've had champs pulled from different release times. So that way That's we're, true. we're forced to mash up these. These aren't pre-existing combinations that people have tested with, even if they weren't popular at any point. So my, Literally have never seen or queued up against a deck that uses these two champs, not even an expedition. And you probably like, ever won't. It, yeah, it's never <laughs> happened. <laughs> Unless you and I play against each other with our decks, we probably will never run into the situation. Yeah. So, uh -huh. so my deck, I really wanted to focus on, I mean, Leona, you have to get some of the daybreak value, right? So uh, just to... Just to kind of reiterate, in case somebody doesn't know Leona's text, Leona is a four-cost uh, Targon champion that says Daybreak. So Daybreak being the mechanic that you get an effect um, when you play a card that has a Daybreak uh, text to it as the first card on a turn. So she says Daybreak, stun the strongest enemy, and she levels up when you have played four Daybreak cards across the course of the game. And then after she levels up, every time you would play a Daybreak card, you would stun the strongest enemy. So it, every time you play a daybreak from there, it's done. It's, it does a stun, where on her level one, it only does it one time. So I really wanted to set a base of a healthy amount of daybreak cards first um, before I started setting the rest of my deck, because otherwise Leona's null and void. Maokai being sure. down in the deck when he's on the board, he at least as long as you were spawning a unit on the turn, on a turn, he while he's there, you're at least getting the two the 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 sapling that he creates that two one uh, ephemeral unit with challenger, which can be good, especially in a in a meta that likes to um, go wide and have a lot of either elusive units or just have a wide board state where you can pull some things that they are trying to protect on their board, whether it be a young witch, whether it be a hurt Lulu or a hurt Poppy or something like that. Um, or even a Draven of some sort, just to, to do a couple extra points of damage there. It's pretty good. Um, so I first built the deck. I put in Leona. I put in a copy of Sunburst in there. Robin Daylight Spear, the five cost that makes all of your cards every... It's always daytime, so you don't have to be the first time to play it. He's pivotal. Uh, Solari Priestess to pull some extra Daybreak unit or just some extra units. Uh, Solari Sunhawk and Solari Soldier and Solari Seal Bear. So some good early game to kind of stall out to get to the mid game. That was important. So some of the really good, just the good stuff Daybreak cards. And then the direction I kind of took with this deck was, okay, now how can I abuse Maokai? 
So hmm. what I did was, is I put a little bit of um, cheap spawning in here to try to one, get some kill, to get some kills for the kill tick on Maokai who wants you to either um, toss, toss your own- or see 25 creatures die. Yeah. Correct. So, so having some cheap creatures die will kind of help with his progression. But my top end, I think this is really where the deck is kind of the surprise and maybe where we differ in direction. I put overgrown Snapvine in my deck. Oh yeah, I didn't go that way. Yes, overgrown Snapvine. Crazy, but I'm not that crazy. Overgrown Snapvines, the seven cost uh, five three that says when you summon a follower, kill it and summon an overgrown Snapvine. So every time Maokai would summon the sapling, it not only would kill the sapling, it would then turn it into a five three immediately. So it, you're summoning a lot of really good beefy units i'm playing vile feasts every single time um it would summon the spider it would summon a snap vine i was running a, a initially i was running a couple copies of fading memories so that way i could pull a daybreak make an ephemeral copy of a daybreak unit in my hand to then play it again to get the daybreak effect and then the ephemeral part didn't matter because it was just going to turn into a snap vine anyway Mm -hmm. So you got the daybreak effect again, and then it turned into a permanent 5-3. So there was definitely some a uh, couple star shavings for healing. So this deck basically said, I want to play early game units with daybreak, stall out to the mid game, get my champions down, and get some stuns off, and let's try to let's try to pull some units in, play some celestials that we create through some of the other other engines that we've got, till we can get our snap vine card down. And then let's just start killing a bunch of units and creating an overwhelming board with snap vines. And I actually had some success with it. Um, I I played a couple games against the AI just because it felt like a good place to test. And then I played a couple games in casual and the deck didn't lose. Did I test it in as far as I wanted to? No. Sure. But did it lose? No. So there's a win-win here somewhere. So, <laughs> so tell me, where how did you differ from mine? Where did what direction did you go? You know, it's it's interesting. We went a similar direction, and but I have had a I've had a pretty strong conviction um, uh, as we have you know started in this, um, and my my strong conviction has been making sure that whenever I play, at least the first iteration of my deck um, does want to make the most of both champions. Sure. So trying to get an equal blend um, between the two. And that hasn't always been easy because I've tried to get it down even as much as like, can I get a pretty equal split between the two regions? So I'm actually running 21 target cards, 19 shadow owl cards. So I was a pretty even split. Um, what I ended up doing, uh, and, and you know, like there probably could be some stuff, uh, but I went with, you know, the daybreak package, but I did go pretty heavy. I went soldiers, shield, uh, shield bearers, sunhawks, priestess, uh, Sun Forgers, Daylight Spears, and uh, Eye of Raharok, um, the landmark, because I was looking to slow down the game, um, or or Eye of Raharok, because it seemed like I would have a lot of stuff on the board, um, and I was easily filling the board, and one of the reasons for that was I knew that you could go about Malkai in really two different ways. One, you could do Toss, so I looked up Toss, and if you're not playing Bilgewater, Malkai and two other cards are the only cards that toss. Well, mm -hmm. technically, Sap Magic does, but it's terrible. 
Um, that's the three-mana burst card that tosses three and heals all allies three. It's also Malkai's signature spell. Um, it's just not good. So did you so go you with Dead Bloom Wanderer on three? Uh, well, I was going to go with Dead Bloom Wanderer, but I ended up saying the other way that you can play Malkai is Ephemerals. Get lots of Ephemerals on the board and level mm-hmm. him up through sacking Ephemerals. So I ended up going Shark Cherry, mm-hmm. and I thought, okay... There are some good ephemerals. Wait, we could play Haunted Relic. I ended up throwing in two Mark of the Isles because I was like, well, maybe I can play a Solari soldier and then also make it ephemeral and also, you know, resummon some shark soldiers or something. Because sometimes, like, if you're playing all of these Daybreak cards, like, you don't have the luxury of being able to play all of the ephemerals that you'd want to play in, like, a Hecarim deck or something. But we did get a new synergy with ephemerals with uh, when we got Viego. So I'm playing Camivorian Soldier and Invasive Hydrovine, which is interesting because we're both playing something with Vine in the name at the top end, um, which was basically like if you give me enough time, my goal once again was to stall out the game. Yes, I can win. And typically when this deck won, I won by curving out Solari Soldier into Shield Bearer, into Priestess, into Leona, into Robin Spear, right? Like if I was like... Robin Daylight Spear. Like, that was, like, the best curve because, as it turns out, Leona, if she just curves well, can just win games because she can just dominate board. Mm-hmm. Uh, but in games when I didn't curve well or my curve didn't get to close out the game and I was dying off, what I found was Ayarara could sometimes buy me a few turns to get my Invasive Hydrovine in. And then through Invasive Hydrovine, in conjunction with shark chariots i could in haunted relic i could potentially get malkite to the point where i was ready to level him up and win in the late game that way especially because hydrovine keeps making copies of you know these uh, encroaching mists and so they keep getting bigger and bigger and bigger so you know there is no viego obviously you know viego leona is better than malkai leona um there's a lot of things that are better than what we're playing but this sort of worked for me. Um, it didn't win every game. I did not take it to AI. I just I was streaming it, so I just took it straight to uh, casual matches. And I think I played like six, um, five or six, and I won. I think three and lost two or three. Um, so all in all, like it, it really wasn't awful. Like the deck didn't feel horrible. I also played Blighted Caretaker in this deck because it was a way for me to make value out of things like Solari Soldier or Shield Bearer um, after their buff had faded, or even the Sunhawk, to be able to summon up a couple of saplings, and potentially with those saplings, you know, because like that, those things really do help your Malkai level up, because oh, yeah. you're sacking something, that's one tick, you're getting a 1-1, one, one, you're almost going to definitely chump luck with, that's a tick, you get, you know, two of your 2-1 uh, uh, saplings, those are two more ticks. And then if you have a shark chariot that you've played before that, you know, the shark chariot's going to give you another tick. And so you could get, you know, four or five ticks on Malkai with that one three mana card. Um, and I have found that to be like a fairly valuable. Obviously, it would be better if it was still a two one, uh, but fairly valuable. So really liked it. And it was it felt good to go back to Mark of the Isles and shark chariot a little mm-hmm. bit. Um you know, the other version that I did play did play more towards Malkai. Um, so it did run some stuff that tossed. Um, and then it also did run things like Crawling Sensation. So that when one of my Ephemerals did die, I could get two spiders on the board. 
Um, but in the end of the day, that deck seemed less fun than Invasive Hydrovine. Mm -hmm. um, so I just didn't play it very much. Ended up, I don't even know that I even got it to, to like a real game. Um, ended up sticking with Leona Maokai with the with the ephemeral package. We'll Interesting. have to hold, we we'll to have to hold on to those decks and we'll have to have a jungle battle and see who is the, the king of the vines. Have a Tarzan, Tarzan battle. I, I think that it would really depend. Uh, if you give me enough time with Hydrovine, uh, it's hard to deal with all of those big boys. But you know what? Something that never goes away and always has a full board is Snapvine. Snapvine's kind of a dangerous card to let stay on the board for any length of time. Yeah, it's funny that you ran um, the Haunted Relic as well because I did as well. Because if you have a Hydrovine on the board, you play a two-cost two slow spell and summon 15 nine worth of stats that seems pretty nice oh yeah i mean haunted relic along with snapvine is really incredible and if i had like i don't even i feel like your brain is always at least like a percentage towards thinking about overgrown snapvine um like <laughs> <laughs> i've tried it on multiple occasions this is true i feel like if you dabble into shadow isles like you're building a deck and you're like you know, I think I want to build a Shadow Isles deck today. You're like, can I make Overgrown Snapvine work in here even as a one of? Can this thing get in the deck? <laughs> so, Meanwhile, I've like never played the card. Um, my first thought with Shadow Isles, whenever I make a deck, it always ends up, and this is this is hard because we're limiting our champions, so I can't really do it. My first thought always goes to Callista, and my second thought always goes to um, some sort of Rekindler or Chronicler of Ruin build. Mm. Um, that wants to kill and resummon stuff, trying to take it to take advantage of summon effects. That's where my mind always goes. Um, I like a lot of the recursion tools and put stuff back in hand, play it again, get the value. How can you cheat value with, with SI? I think that's one of the strong, its strongest components. And this deck in a way does that. It just does it differently because we had to use Leona, which is suboptimal. But I yeah, had a my, really good time with this. My question with SI is, can I play Mist Race? If the answer is no, okay, how can I play Vaults of Helia? Um, <laughs> <laughs> that's a tough question. Yeah, that's not an easy... The One of my favorite times in, in all of Runeterra was when DBN and I were playing Vaults decks. Um, and, uh, you know, sometimes I just wish I could go back to it. Sometimes I wish I could go back. Why not? We've proven at Worlds you can play anything you want and it can work. Maybe. Yeah. Maybe evidently that that is that is fairly true. Um, well, that's going to wrap up this segment of us looking at our two champs in a hat. But uh, Gibbles has a brand new segment for us. So why don't you take us over? We can have a little conversation about some lore. Trust me, I know what I'm doing. All right. So I wanted to delve as one of my new segments that uh, to introduce for season three. I think that lore across any game is really interesting. And maybe this is a product of my D and D brain and that, which you can blame DBN for because he's the one who got me into D and D. Um, but I've having played so many fantasy games and playing video games growing up with these just intricate storylines and the Runeterra universe is no stranger to intricate and interesting characters who have these different motivations and backstories and storylines i wanted to focus a little bit on uh just shortly each 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 time or every now and then on a couple episodes uh just a champion that i find interesting 
from lore. I don't, I'm not a League of Legends player. I never have been. So I'm not knowledgeable about some of the, the champions and, and where their backgrounds come from outside of what I see of them in Legends of Runeterra. So I was having a really interesting conversation with one of our Discord um, members uh, earlier last week, I believe. And we were talking about lore. He's a really big lore buff. So he was giving me some some cool champions that he liked about uh, that, that that show up in Legends of Runeterra. So this week I wanted to talk about Ziggs. I think Ziggs has a really cool background. The more I kind of got a brief um, overview about some Which of his I know motivations. nothing about, by the way. Like, I literally know nothing about Ziggs. I have no other than he has bombs. I know nothing about his background. Give me five minutes and I'll I'll tell you more. So well, great, let's do it. So he is. Um, I really like his motivations as a character because he is the kind of character that I would want to build in D and D. He's multifaceted in his interests, but also they don't necessarily match his moral code. He's got a stronger moral code than his explosions. Like you, you, you see him and you immediately place him and like someone like Jinx in the same realm and, what, and what they want to do. Sure. Chaos, right? Yeah, it's, it's like chaos, that. which is not necessarily Ziggs when you read into his backstory. So a little bit about Ziggs. So Ziggs is a Yordle. And he worked uh, underneath of Heimerdinger as he was uh, creating uh, some of his his explosions and or his explosives and his some of his technology. Ziggs is a very talented inventor and creator who kind of flew under the radar. Yordles are in the world of Piltover, um, mm-hmm. almost like mythical creatures. They are not seen in Piltover. Uh, very much from what I understand, if I have that right. Or no, it's it's Zon that they're not it's Zon that they're they're kind of feared. They're and but they but they exist in Piltover. The University of Piltover has has Yordles all over the place. Um so it's it's Zon where they're not there. Um which Zon is kind of like the drudgy, ugly underbelly of the upside of Piltover. Is that Am I my right or right? There, that's that. kind of okay. like the yeah. It's kind of like the the on the underside. It's it's dirtier and it's 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 more kind of chaos and a little bit um, kind of shadier down in Zon. So sure. so Ziggs used to work underneath of of Heimerdinger creating inventions and uh, the University of Piltover caught word of Ziggs' uh, affinity for his creations and whatnot, and they called on him to give a demonstration at the university. And at the university, he was giving a, a demonstration on one of his explosives, and it blew a hole in one of the walls of the university. And some Zonites uh, actually came in and uh, kidnapped a bunch of the professors after oh, interesting. after Ziggs was kicked out of the the university for his failed demonstration. They told him to leave. Uh, a bunch of the professors uh, got kidnapped. So Ziggs' main moral code and his two rules are. I will not kill anybody with my explosions and I will save anybody from like being hurt from my explosions if I can help it. Like those are kind of his two major rules. So he's not out unlike Jinx who is largely in lore considered what it's called a, she's called a psychopath. Ziggs is not in that. Hmm. 
He's labeled by some people who are misunderstanding of his motives as a psychopath, but he is not. He's kind of crazy at heart and he wants to see things blow up because he is a pyromaniac, which is probably a, a, uh, in a way. interest. In yeah, <laughs> right. So that's where the conflict of interest shows up. He's a pyromaniac, but he doesn't want to see people get hurt. He just wants to see like buildings or things get blown up that don't hurt people. So he ends up getting tangled up eventually after he goes, she goes and saves he creates a new the Hexplosives, which we see in a specific card. It's that zero mana landmark, I believe, in mm. uh, or the one mana landmark in um, that's Shurima? now in Sharima, where that stuns, which is also thematically really cool that it doesn't kill anything because that's not what Ziggs would do. Ziggs would just mm. want to stun something. Um, so it, it's it's more of a stun thing. So he he likes to create these explosives. He created these explosives to break into the jail that all of the um, professors that had been taken from the university were actually being held in, where they, where they got kidnapped to. Interesting. He used his new explosives that he created to break into the jail, scare off all the guards, break into the cell with his more explosions to save all of the professors, and was given like an honorary medal. Um, eventually, he goes and makes his way into Zahn and finds Jinx. And Jinx thinks that Ziggs is an imaginary, is a figment of his imagination. Doesn't believe that Ziggs is real. Thinks that Ziggs is his is her conscience in a way. So Ziggs kind of plays into it and tries to stop Jinx from blowing people up. They do, they blow up some things together. And then when, when Jinx wants to go and blow up the like essentially the guard the guard station where like the warden is and all of that and and all of the the police officers in Zon when she wants to go blow them up mm-hmm. Ziggs tries to stop her and eventually per against what Heimerdinger Heimerdinger wanted Ziggs to do which was to be careful don't reveal yourself he had like cast what was called like a glamour spell on Ziggs that way he wouldn't be able to be seen as a yordle he'd be able to be seen as a human they um eventually he gets revealed as a yordle in in uh trying to stop all these people from getting killed inside of the warden station he steals jinx's uh detonator and they end up fighting over it he stops a bunch of people from getting killed but gets essentially disowned by heimerdinger and goes and lives with jinx and now tries to cause explosions in zon make zon his new home without actually killing people so he's trying to keep Jinx in check while kind of fueling his his own want for to see things blow up and create his explosions and and make his his inventions. So he's at war with not only his own moral code but also trying to keep his friend because she's really his only ally in Jinx in Zon in the in the in the town of Zon, yeah, yeah, yeah. trying to keep her in check. So it's a really interesting balance that Zon presents for Ziggs. And as Ziggs is a character, really trying to um, fuel both his internal desire to not hurt anybody, but want to see things blow up when he's got the exact opposite kind of personality as his partner. So, yeah, that that is really interesting. Um, uh, it, there's a lot, of course, that I don't know about, uh, you know, the background and everything of, of stuff that's going on in, in Runeterra. Um, but I did actually see some pic- some pictures that people had drawn, I guess, um, uh, online or on, on Reddit where there was like Senna with Vigar and then Jinx with Ziggs. 
um, as mm-hmm. kind of like their littles. And I was like, well, I understand. Like, Senna, Senna Vagar makes sense. Like, they work together. But why the heck are you putting, you know, Jinx with Ziggs? It doesn't make any sense. You know, Ziggs should be standing beside, uh, what, I'm sorry, Zareth. Like, uh, Zareth. Like, that should be. But I, I did not realize that actually had more to do with lore than anything else. Yeah, and I think eventually, uh, later down the road, so I think Z- I think Ziggs and why he's part of Sharima, I do believe is that eventually Ziggs has a breaking with Jinx when they realize that their alignments of what they want to explode are just too different. I do believe sure. he eventually leaves Zon- Piltover and Zon and goes to Sharima, which is why he is considered a dual champion for PNZ and... Um, and Sharima, or he, is, is, is he is he Bandle City and Sharima? Or is yeah, he he's Bandle. He's Bandle City Sharima, but it also makes which is sense where he's originally he's, from. Yeah, that makes sense. All Yertle's homeland is Bandle City, right? right? So the, he the eventually lands in Sharima, from what I understand, which is makes sense in terms of the storyline and lore. But his most of his 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 dealings take place with, um, with Heimerdinger, who's also a Yertle in in PNZ. So if that's he's got a really interesting background. I think I appreciate him a lot more as a character, and in his 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 writing, uh, and development. Sure. So if if anybody's interested, one if I got anything wrong, don't kill me, but feel free to correct me in Discord. I more than welcome <laughs> it because um, I would love to learn more and be correct about the lore. Uh, but two, if you are interested in reading some of the material that I brushed up on in, pre- in preparation for this episode, I'm more than happy to pull it into Discord and share it with anybody who's also interested in reading about it. There's a really cool, like, longer comic strip about uh, Zig's dealings with Jinx and his and his kind of beginnings with, uh, with Heimer, but there's also a nice narrative that Riot posted um, that's supposed to be like his bio and background. And it's actually written from the perspective of, of Ziggs as well, which is pretty cool. Very cool. Very cool. Well, yeah, guys, be sure to check that out. And we'll even try to post a link to that uh, if you have one in the show notes. Uh, let's move on to our last segment for tonight, a new one by me. No more holding back! Okay, guys, in this segment, we're going to be talking cosmetics because one of my favorite things to do is to flex on my opponents with the money that I spend in the game because, you know, being an adult playing a card game uh, that maybe is a little bit cartoony and maybe a good number of kids might play, um, you know, as a kid, I didn't get to buy things for games. And as an adult, I can. And so I like to buy stuff. But I thought we would do this segment like once during each battle pass to decide if it is worth picking up or not which now that i think about it is a useless segment because literally by the time that this show goes out uh you will not be able to buy the battle pass but we're going to talk about battle passes in general and what our favorite cosmetics are in the beyond the battle pass or oh, sorry <laughs> beyond the, beyond the pass. Ba- in beyond the battle pass uh no beyond the battlewood event pass So just so you guys know, when it comes to cosmetics, there's a lot of different ones that you can pick up for the game. Everything from boards uh, to emotes, uh, guardians, little dudes and blokes to sit on the side of the board. You can get new, uh, I guess they're icons, uh, card backs, uh, prismatic cards, all sorts of stuff that you can get for the game. And we have talked about and rated the best emotes for the game in the past. 
And we've talked about our love for boards, but there is one thing that the game does that is really awesome. Uh, every now and then we do an event, and with it comes an event pass. You can uh, sort of grind out that event pass by completing special quests that are true to the event pass, and you can get certain things for free in it, but then you can pay 10 bucks, and that 10 bucks will enable you to unlock a substantial amount more, including right now, at least the last couple of events, have been a prismatic champion. So this one, for example, is prismatic Tristana before we had prismatic viego or auction depending on which side you went sentinels or ruination and then before that we had a prismatic uh zed uh that came with the space themed event so we've had a lot of events throughout the past including what were the ones that we had before this we i know we had the falling blossoms the kda event uh and then there was one between kda and space rangers event right or was there not no i think there was no. okay I think I feel like uh did no because wasn't there the festival? Well, there was a festival one. Oh, you're right. You're right. I feel like there was an event pass with like the festival of the bull or the lunar new year. Yeah, right? yeah. It was it was very much bright and like very almost like spring. Red. It was red and pinks and like springtimey festival. Uh, and whatnot, if I remember. Well, right. that was the falling. There was a falling blossom event too that had Yasuo on the front of it, and I can't remember if there was an event pass that went with the lunar U lunar New Year, which had like a golden bowl as a card back that you. Could that get. was part of the season. Um, um, the 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 card back with the with the golden bowl. I think that was tied to the the year of it was the year of the ox. Was that? Um, and, uh, you're right. Yeah. And that right. was, that was you're more right. of a, of a season thing than it was a, was, was a, a battle pass. There is another battle pass that was in there. I'm almost positive that you're right. I can't remember what it is. You keep talking and I will find it. Okay. Well, you know, the, in the event pass, if you go for the free version, it often unlocks a couple of things for you. So often some prismatic rewards, you frequently get a stack of cards right now, which is really cool. You usually unlock a couple of icons and emotes. And then in addition to that, you also typically you'll unlock like a cool card back. If you go for the free version, if you go for the premium version, you automatically unlock a cool new guardian. You get lots of extra card backs, more wild cards that you can spend to increase your collection. You get some cards that you wouldn't particularly get. You increase your collection with more emotes. Uh, you get more guardians that are sort of like unique or custom versions. And then at the top of the event pass, you're going to get a prismatic champion as well which is typically going to cost you almost dang near just the prismatic champion. If you were to spend real money to buy enough coins to purchase a prismatic champion with coins, that prismatic champion alone, not including the, in this case, the 27 other items that you can unlock through the battle pass, the prismatic champion alone is going to cost you about what, about eight us dollars or something like that. Um, so obviously value wise, it's pretty worth it. If you're going to grind it out, if you're not going to grind it out, likely still pretty worth it. If you just spend $10, you're going to get Puff Cat Pup, for example. That alone, if you play a few times, you know, that and a card back at level four is going to be worth, you know, eight or nine dollars. If, if you're willing to go, you know, the whole way up to 
uh, I don't know, like level 14, not even half or like halfway. If you go to the halfway point, you're going to get more than your $10 of value pretty much if you'll just go halfway. So are you a battle pass or an event pass person, Gibby? Do you usually buy the event pass and grind it out? Do you find it to be worth uh, picking up or would you rather spend your money elsewhere? So my favorite cosmetic to buy if I'm going to, which I almost look at you're buying the cosmetics because of the 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 extended battle pass. You are essentially buying everything that's in the battle pass, assuming you complete it. My favorite accessory or cosmetic to buy is our boards. I think they provide to me the most value. And the boards are never considered in there's there hasn't yet to this point, there has yet to be a board as a part of the battle passes. However, I still yeah. for the most part have bought the battle passes. I didn't buy the um, the world destroying Ender one that gave Zed. I didn't. I didn't. I didn't buy the 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 space themed one. Uh, you did not buy that event pass. I'm kind Dark of Dark Horizon. By yeah, that. and I love that kind of stuff. So I didn't. I didn't buy the Dark Horizon one. Um, I bought the. I bought. But didn't you buy Zed? No. 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 DBN. Oh. I bought Yasuo. You bought oh, so you did buy a skin, I bought a skin. but you did not buy the I event bought a skin, pass. But I didn't buy the battle pass, uh, and I bought the board uh, for for that event, which which came with okay. which came with the extra huge uh, follower guy in the corner, um, who like destroys. Oh, you the... bought you bought that one, yeah, like the fifty dollar one. It was oh, it was wow. not fifty dollars. Okay. It was like at the okay. I, if you bu- if right, you it, it was like fifteen dollars, and you got that board and the regular one in case you wanted to put another little little guy in the corner instead of the big giant monster. Um, uh-huh. But I I bought the blossom uh, one. The one that we were missing was the Empires of the Ascended when they re- initially uh, announced Sharima. There was a a battle pass for that where they gave you a prismatic azir at the end. So that was another battle pass that we were missing. Um, okay. But I did buy that one. I've bought most of them. Oh, that's honestly. right. I completely forgot about the azir. I one. do. Yeah. I do find a lot of value in the battle passes. There might not be everything. I might not use everything that's in there. I half the time I find some of the emotes that are in there aren't don't just 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 don't jive with me. I use a lot of the the same emotes for most of my lineups just because I I have some favorite emotes that I like. Um, But there are some cool icons. There's some cool uh, like follower helper guys that are in the corner of your boards. I I mean, even the prismatic, they usually give you a handful of champions or prismatic chests or regular chests or even just prismatic wild cards. And that's so far above the value that you're paying it's worth. It's so worth, especially when you are they they pair it with a release of a new region or a new card set, and you're depleting all of your resources just to try to get all of these extra cards so you can play with them roughly around the time that they're relevant or they're new, and you're, you're trying to do trying new decks and all of that. I find value if you are interested in the game and in and, and every now and then buying a battle pass. Like it, it's you definitely get your money's worth out of the battle pass. I will say that. Yeah, so I have bought every event pass that has come out simply because of the sheer amount of value that you gain from it. Like, there's so much that you will gain that you, if if you're going to grind it out, right? And and I am, I am, I don't know, a little bit away. I have like three days left to finish this one. um, And I will probably purchase my way up to the end of it if I have to. If I don't end up finding the time to grind it out, I'm going to try to grind it out tomorrow morning. I'm going to get on and just like try to play AI games and finish out the battle or the event pass. 
Um, I bought everyone so far. I finished everyone so far, and I don't regret it even a small mm-hmm. amount. Um, I will say this. There is a point where there's a law of diminishing returns here with the event passes because you can get so many cosmetics that it's like uh, there's so many that I've received that I just haven't used yeah. uh, because I have ones that I and I feel more attached to the ones that I have purchased. So um, things like I purchased uh, the year of the bowl or whatever. I purchased the MF card back. Um, because I, so I really cool. liked the MF card back. It was a really, really good one. It's not particularly better than any of the other card backs that you would get through the event pass, but I do feel an attachment to that one. That being said, I feel a lot of attachment to um, to some of the stuff that I, I, I received in the Ruination event as well, because I liked, really, really liked the event pass in the Ruination mm-hmm. event, and I did grind that one the whole way out. That being said, you're not going to get two things in this. You're not going to get skins. You're not going to get boards, at least not yet. So without the skins and the boards, does this, if you throw 10 bucks at it, give you your money plus some? Yeah, I'm going to say there's probably, you know, $60 worth of value. I'm sure there's someplace out there where you can find what it actually is. There's probably 60 bucks worth of value for $10 that you spend if you're willing to grind it out. But if you feel like I have a Guardian and a card back that I like, um, I, I don't really mess around. I don't emote that much. Um, and so therefore skins and boards are sort of like, I like to identify with those more Then I think the event passes are not a great purchase, mm-hmm. um, for that reason. But I am curious to close out the episode. What is your favorite cosmetic from this event pass out of all of the ones that you have gotten? I think that you finished yours, right? I did I actually finished it as of this morning. I finished my, oh, okay. finished my event pass. Oh, one, before you answer that question, one more thing that's important. Uh, if you look and you're like, well, what if I have three copies of Bandle Tree and then I go and get the Bandle Tree card? It does not give you a partial refund. It gives you a full refund for the cards. So, for example, I had already cap, uh, crafted three copies of Bandle City Mare. Once I got to Bandle City Mare, I got 1,200 shards for each of the three copies that the event pass gave me. So, if you craft cop you don't have to worry and like oh well i don't want to wait until like halfway through to play bandle tree you can craft your bandle tree cards and get a full refund for the three of them once you reach level 24 in the event pass for example yeah that's an important little thing that i didn't know until literally this week because that had not happened to me yet so what is your favorite cosmetic uh from this event pass is there one that really you've loved there is one in particular i think uh, that has really stood out to me, and I'm rocking it right now. And I think this is the the biggest area that I'm looking for that one cosmetic that's going to identify with me that I can keep for a long time. I'm looking for a player icon that I really, really love. I haven't come oh, across one yet that I'm just like, that's me. That is a Gibby icon. This will be on my profile. When I see when I play people, I want them to see that icon and think Gibby. I haven't found that one yet, and it will come. It'll be there. I had the Zephyr Yasuo on there for a, for quite a while. Mm-hmm. I think that one's a really cool icon. That's when I bought. They gave me that icon when I bought the skin. Um, but there was one that was in the Bandle Wood or um, Bandle Battle Pass uh, that we're as we're calling it. Uh, that was on there. It was the graduation day icon where it's got the the acorn symbol yep. with kind of the hat, and then it's got the kind of the crossing. Um, kind of machetes. machetes that you'd cut through like the vines or cut through the forest with if you were like a um, a yordle in like following Timo on an adventure or something like that. I think it's like whimsical enough 
but also shiny and polished and good looking. I really like that icon. So I, upon receiving that one, and it's one of the last things you get in the, the battle pass, I bought that, or I was happy to get that, and I equipped it immediately. So, you know, for me, my my icon, I pretty much stayed a slave to Lee Sin because you, you bought the package of the, I don't know, it was the Lee Sin card back plus the Lee Sin board. You got a Lee Sin icon as a bonus mm. if you bought them in the package. And I don't even think you can buy the Lee Sin board anymore. You might be able to, but you certainly can't buy the package that gives you the lease in icon. And I got something very similar with Shivana, which is why I love my Shivana card back because I got like, I can't remember what I bought. I bought something that like in the Shivana package when it came out, but my favorite one for this, cause I'm kind of a sucker for card backs is the redeemer, which is the Senna card back. The Senna card back is so freaking cool. The glowing eyes, the hands on her weapon. She's so intimidating. Uh, I've really wanted to play Senna separate from Vigar, but as it turns out, the one that's probably better being played separate from the other is actually Vigar from Senna, not Senna from Vigar, unfortunately, because it's so good to power up and discount the cost of those darkness spells where Senna cannot do that for you if you're not jumping into Bandlewood. And uh, and then likely, if you're jumping into Bandlewood, why aren't you playing with Vigar? However, <laughs> I love the Senna card back. I think it's a beautiful card back, and I am into sort of like BA chicks like that. It, and one of the things that I've said over and over about this game and the things that I love is that they do not objectify the female characters in this game the same way that League of Legends has historically. Um, they typically make them really tough rather than super sexy, which I deeply appreciate. And Senna is one of those characters that is just really cool i didn't really like her as sort of like lucian's lover um but when she sort of came out on her own through the ruination event and then into this expansion i have liked her a lot more and senna has been one of those characters that i've been trying to combine with other really cool characters my biggest disappointment though from the battle pass as is senna's emote uh, i was hoping for a tougher emote than the ou emote that was to pair with the who me emote from lucian um, the emotes were kind of a disappointment for me. Uh, emotes are one of my favorite things, and I wasn't super impressed with the Wowza Poppy emote. Um, not my favorite. Doesn't look enough like Poppy for me. I didn't like the Lucian Senna emotes. Could have gone without those. And, you know, there was so many. Like, why did we not get an amazing Vigar emote? Is my question. Like, yeah, I mean, they, they definitely could have done made better on that. Unbelievable Vigar emotes. So, um, I don't know if you know this, but there was a reference to a meme with those okay. two emotes that they were why they were created. the The meme was the Senna emote and the Lucian emote that were kind of facing each other, that were kind of coordinated. It was a meme from uh Daenerys Targaryen and Thor. Those are the faces oh, that they right. were that they're making at each other in a meme where they're kind of like squinting like really like are you like are you serious like oh oh I you. I forget that so many things are memes and I'm not part of meme culture very yes, much. Yes, as as a as a member of the meme culture, I wouldn't call myself a meme lord, but I'm, I'm part of the meme culture. That was the the inspiration behind those two uh emotes. Do I think they're good for in this game? What is this madness?
I did try to use the Senna one and I was just like, this, I don't think my opponent knows what kind of emotion I'm trying to convey with this emote. <laughs> like, I think they're just confused anytime I put that down. Am I upset about what they just did that something just got of mine just got killed? Am I unimpressed with what they just did? Am I about to crush them with something? Like, it just doesn't convey anything particular. Yeah, and uh, the best emotes are the ones that make a very clear statement. My f um, or or situationally can make one of like three very clear statements, but on the situation, you know what it is. My favorite right? emote of all time so far is the one of Soraka, where she it's almost like the oh no, like what what like what what's happened? And she's like waving her uh -huh. hands like ba like back and forth and like like freaking out. I think that is my favorite emote in the entire game. Love that one. I put it in every lineup. That's interesting. Uh, I think my favorite one is still Shivana. That's the special thing that I got with uh, Shivana was I got the Shivana emote. So that's the unique one that you can't get without the Shivana package that had come mm -hmm. out originally. Um, that was like the card back and the dragon. You got the guardian dragon and the card back. And then if you purchased both of those in the package, you got the emote. And I like that one. Um, just because it says like I'm ready to go, like let's go, like uh, and I I use it as a greeting some, mm -hmm. but we could get off into a lot of tangents. We're not gonna do that. We're gonna close this episode out, guys. I want to thank you all for listening. Come and join us on Discord and join our Discord community. Um, you can also join our evens in an odd league that is gonna be starting up and going over a double elimination bracket held in the in client tournament uh client thing um and you can read all the rules and everything in discord so swing on over there is a prize pool as well i think the winner wins like 50 bucks um and then there's like a 20 or 30 or 20 10 5 i can't remember all of the rules are inside the discord so come on over and check it out if you want to check out what we're doing you can check that out in the show notes as well as i stream a couple days a week and that's going to do it for this episode. Thank you guys so much for tuning in and listening. And be sure to come back again next week. Hey, wait. Uh, we're actually not done yet. I thought we were done, but we're not done yet. We forgot to announce what the next two champs in a hat is going to be. So on the next episode where there's just a couple of us, we are going to be doing a two champs in a hat segment. And uh, Gibbles, if you'll pull those two champs and tell us what they are, that would be awesome. Calculating, calculating, running a sheet, calculating. Okay, another weird combination going to be for next week. Let's do it. Of course. You love your ephemerals. You're going to be continuing to love your ephemerals. Um, we have Hecarim and Scion. Send me to battle. What is this madness? Yeah, I mean, so summoning a bunch of ephemerals to, to try to uh, get Scion leveled. This will be interesting. They've got some synergy, but they haven't been played together from what I've seen. So let's see what you can do. Hecarim Scion. Wow, that's awesome. Hey, this is actually going to be the end of the episode. Thank you guys so much for tuning in. Thank you to all of our patrons over at patreon.com slash legendscast. If you want to support the show, you can find the link in the show notes. They are what make it all happen. Thank you guys so much. That's going to for real do it for this episode. And we will hear you, hear you all. We will catch you guys all next week. Thanks for listening to Legends Cast. This episode was brought to you by listeners like you. Don't forget to join our Discord community and support us by leaving us a rating and review wherever it is that you listen to podcasts. A special thanks goes out to all of our Patreon supporters over at patreon.com slash legendscast.